Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today on the show is our good friend, Michael Krieger, at Liberty Blitzkrieg on Twitter. If you're not following him, what are you doing? He's written some amazing pieces, not only just about Bitcoin, but about like financial markets and just general great writing about many, many topics. He is a force of nature. He's got a lot to say, whether it's about current events, political events, COVID, vaccines, whether it's homeschooling, gardening, Bitcoin, financial markets, Warren Buffett. We cover so much in this episode and we delve into one of his pieces of writing called Financial Feudalism, which is great. We go into, well, he goes into, excuse me, uh, the, the damage a debt-based economy is doing and has done to us over the years. So make sure you uh, tune in and listen to this one. Thanks, Mike, for, for spending the time and uh, you know doing this one. It was great to catch up with you. Before we get into the interview, please go and check out the show sponsors. They are doing great work. They're Bitcoin-only companies. They have your best interest at heart. They want you to stack and they want you to stay safe. You can use coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Go download their app. Use Relay across Europe, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten. Across the pond, you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. But then you've got to take control. Use a hardware wallet, Bitbox 02, Bitcoin only edition. And you can get one from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten enjoy this episode with mike okay here we are michael welcome to the show thank you so much for taking the time oh absolute pleasure to be here yeah we we, we connected outside of uh, outside of this and became friendly so that's very excited to uh to have this conversation yeah it's nice we've had this plan for a while so it's nice to yeah. finally uh finally got here but uh, lauren of course is going to uh, ask the first question so you know okay. i've got to move aside here so why I heard you write articles and why do you write articles? Great question. Actually, I don't write articles right now. <laughs> so so uh, what happened is, okay, so the best way to describe uh, uh, my sort of uh, how I got into writing is at my old job when I was in finance on Wall Street, part of my job was writing. And it, I just sort of became aware that I was pretty decent at it and people liked my writing, uh, you know, not just the stuff I was saying, but the way I expressed myself. And so then when I left that job, I figured, hey, I have a lot I feel like I want to say. I had a lot to get off my chest and I knew people liked it. So I just continued doing it. And so that just sort of progressed over time. And I, as I kept writing on more varied topics, I realized that people did like it, you know, more, not just the Wall Street people, but just, you know, other, other people out there really enjoyed what I was doing and saying. And, and most importantly, though, the reason I wrote regularly from 2012 publicly for, for free, essentially, from 2012 to last July, 
um, was I just felt like I had a lot on me, right? Like a lot in me and I had to get it out. You know, I sort of had to, I felt like I had to express it somehow. And since people were willing to listen, uh, I, I decided to write. Um, since July of last year, I've only written one post actually. So one post in the last year. And that's because I, I feel I'm, you know, for now, I feel like I'm in a different state. Um, there, I feel like there are things that I need to take care of um, plans that I need to make and execute, et cetera, that take a little bit of a precedence over the writing um, in the way that I used to, right? Which is bl longer form blog posts. Um, I do tweet a lot, which isn't, which is, which is, I don't know if we're going to call that writing, but it is, that's the way that I express myself and how I feel right now. It just seems to be the most effective um, uh, and desirable manner for me. So whether or not I do come back and start writing longer form posts uh, in the future, I think I will, but I have no idea when that will happen. It, it's really a function of when I feel like it's the time. And for right now, I feel like I have other priorities in, in life. Good, good question though. With a, a little baby on the way, uh, that's yeah. Uh, so <laughs> there's a lot going on. <laughs> oh, there's a lot going on. Yeah, so, so we're having number four. Um, in, in a couple months or less than that even. And then we got a puppy last, uh, last November. So it's, it's, a you know, it's a German shepherd puppy. She's, she's, she's really good now, but it was a lot to handle for those first, you know, like nine months, <laughs> um, really training her was, was a lot, took a lot of time. You know, you really, if you want to get, you know, I feel like particularly with this breed, if you want to have a long, you know, long, fruitful, great relationship, particularly with a family little kids running around being crazy you really need to put the time and effort into training in that particularly in that first year and so i did that i spent a lot of time actually doing that um so yeah we're busy we're going to get busier uh and um you know as as i think you know dan uh, we, we we think about things similarly and, and a lot of the same topics i i'm you know at this point where we don't i mean i genuinely could be in a different state this time next year you know i mean mm -hmm. it's i have no idea what's going to happen or, or it's real i'm really sort of um uh waiting preparing and 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 watching so that when a sign comes uh that i need to make some sort of a bigger shift that i'm not flat-footed um, and most importantly, you know, mentally prepared to to take action, which for me actually is going to be hard because I do love, I lo I really do love so much about where we are right now, and to just leave it, um, you know, for 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 the stupidest. I mean, not the stupidest of reasons, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. I can't believe that it's come to this. Is is sort of the as uh, the emotion that I feel. Um, these are, these are my priorities right now. I need to make sure, I've said this uh, publicly, but my number one priority right now for the foreseeable future, probably until I figure it out, is where do I need to be so that my children can grow up in an environment that I feel is, 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 uh, is beneficial for their uh, development. And, and, you know, for me, seeing where things are going, you know, my hometown of New York City, where I grew up, you know, now that they're going to have to show a QR code to enter a restaurant. I mean, I will not um, bring children up in that, thinking that that's normal, you know, I, and I will do whatever I need to do to, to, to find a spot where that's not normal. Like, all of the things I like about here, it's, it's, it doesn't matter if my children are, are going to grow up thinking that that's okay. Uh, and I, and I just won't accept that. Mm. My wife feels the same way. So that's, that makes things easy. <laughs> yeah. We are definitely in the same boat. Well, do you have any further questions or do you want to say good night? 
No, I do not have any further questions. Okay. Um, Thank we'll you for your question. Good afternoon, Michael. <laughs> yeah. uh, good, good afternoon. Good. Yeah. yeah, it's afternoon <laughs> for him. Yes, you're right. Uh, you know, our kids, uh, you go to bed at a reasonable hour because our, our my older kids, I mean, they will stay up till midnight. I mean, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. They, they, do yeah, not they, they go never want to go to bed. Ever. No. Uh, yeah, it's, midnight it's minimum. Battle, battle. And, so. and they, they're, they're sneaky. You know, they sit there completely quiet, <laughs> just watching something on their like uh, tablet or something in the pitch yeah, black. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, it's uh, it's it's a, it's a wild uh, it's a wild ride. But, but yeah, these like guys, my wife and I are like, now, aren't you? what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. <laughs> All right, we'll say good night. Okay. Bye. Good night. Thank you. Yeah, we, we're certainly the same. Thank you. Thank you. She's, 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 she asks, she asks most of the first questions of, uh, That's of cool. Yeah. I love uh, it. So uh, yeah, we're, we're in the same kind of position, maybe, you know, yeah. I don't want to get caught flat footed and, and here we are, we living in France and you know, my yeah. God, it's, it's a beautiful region. Why can't we just be allowed to live <laughs> right. the life we want to live? And they're, they're trying to ban homeschooling. Now this went through the constitutional yeah, vote that. the other day. I'm like, yeah. what the, so now we've really got to be, you know, ready just to like, up and leave whenever we want or you find a way and you hack through the paperwork and the administrative right. bullshit and you you know work around the system but it's too, it's too exhausting it's becoming far too exhausting mm -hmm. yeah i agree i mean for me what's what's hard is there's there's two things and i uh, i feel like you're you you face the same challenges one i mean you like where you are right i mean it's be mm -hmm. probably beautiful and it's a nice lifestyle right i mean the french culture as far as that sort of thing is something i find very appealing as well um you know I, I like Colorado. It's beautiful. Um, you know, it's outdoorsy. Uh, it's it makes me feel really happy. Mountains, right? Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, I, you know, I, I'm at the point where you sort of have to give that up for other things, and it's gut wrenching. And so, what I'm struggling with the most is is a obviously I don't want to leave. Right? I mean, I, I just I'd rather not. Right? I'd rather leave on my own terms. I guess is the best way, better way to put it. Mm -hmm. But second, and this is the this is even the bigger thing, is I've been looking into different states in the United States, right? And even you know other potential countries, mostly focused on Latin America. That's my background on my mother's side as well. So it seems like a like an obvious fit. But I just I, nothing to me is, has been has been clicking, right? So what I mean by that is the biggest decisions, I usually, I, you know, the big decisions, like who you're gonna marry, right? Where you're gonna, where you're gonna live? Like me leaving Wall Street, me leaving New York, those were huge decisions for me, especially someone who grew up in New York. Um, so what's always guided me well has been intuition plus logic. So there's the logic, which is telling you, which was telling me for a while, hey, it's time to leave New York. You grew up there. You've done the Wall Street. You know, it's it's not healthy to live in that place your whole Manhattan your entire life. I mean, that, and a lot of people do that. But for me, it was very clear it wasn't it wasn't the right thing. But it took a couple of years before I felt like, okay, this is this is the spot. You know, this is where I'm going. And once I know that, then it's sort of the the intuition of where you're going to go, uh, and the logic that was already in place. And so then I left right away. I was ready to go. I was just gone, never looked back. So I'm dealing with a similar situation now where the logic in me is saying, you know, this is not looking good, you know, um, but, but, I, but I just, I've look, we've, we've traveled around the States, you know, we've looked at different places. There's completely places I could be, right, that I'd be fine with, but there hasn't been that, this is it moment. 
or, you know, I feel very connected to this place. This is where I, and so lacking that, uh, I would be forcing a decision and that's never been a good thing for me to, mm-hmm. to, to sort of force, to force the issue too much. So I'm stuck here now waiting, you know, essentially to either be forced because I could be forced. Let me give you an example. So if in a month, you know, the state of Colorado or even the city, you know, where I live says mandates, you know, or, you know, for a driver's license. I mean, you know, something like that at that level, I'm out. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm gone. Like the choice is made for me at that point and I'll just go somewhere and, and to a different state and, you know, rent a home until I figure, you know, the next step out. But ideally that's not, you know, what, what I'm going to face. Ideally I can kind of keep looking, keep checking out the landscape and wait for that moment where, um, we visit a place or it becomes clear to me, this is the spot and we do it. But yeah, that, that for me, I don't know, be curious to hear from your end, like what, what, is it similar for you uh, or, or what? Yeah. Uh, we feel as though we're going to be, would be pushed. Don't want right. to leave. You know, right. it's, uh, we didn't even, that this kind of, that this place chose us rather than we chose this place, you know, right. um, not, not the, the house, the, the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's beautiful and it's grown on us and we've made some friends and we've built a community and we're perfectly happy here. <clears throat> you know, we have great food. We're surrounded by farming and whatever else. And yeah. it's all fresh and it's all local. That's important to us. Yeah. Um, there's open, you know, the, the air is good, the, you know, the, the rivers are clean. It's an amazing place. But that you, to tell me now that they're, they're going to start, you know, mandating these, um, what are they called here? Uh, pass sanitaire. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the, the, these vaccine passports. Yeah, you're like, yeah. what, what are you even saying? The people are still right. walking around with their masks on in the shopping right. um, with their masks on everywhere. And it's just like, there's no one seems to be... I mean, they are questioning it. You see on the news that there are manifestations in, in uh, different right. different cities, but small towns, like, yeah. um, you know, there's not much that people can do. They um, mm-hmm. they just follow along. And now the homeschooling thing. And I saw, it's funny, you, you mentioned about New York. I was going to ask you about this. Uh, I saw a headline. Are they mandating vaccines for kids now in schools in New York? So so that 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 part, I'm actually not sure if they've done it yet. So obviously they can't do it from five to 12, but the mayor de Blasio is crazy that he's doing this. I mean, he's pushing, right, Biden, he was saying this today, pushing Biden to get it approved for five to 11 year olds, as if it should be a political decision. Like we need this approved so it makes my life easier. I mean, that's where we're at, right? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So, um, you know, I know that you can 12 and up. So I don't know that it's mandated. I know that the teachers, principals, uh, staff of schools will be doing it. I would assume that, that if it hasn't been already mandated for students 12 and up, then it will be. I mean, he's begging for it to be five to 11 now. And my guess is he's begging for it to be five to 11 so that they can just do the whole school as opposed to saying, right, it's 12 and up, but the younger ones aren't. So it creates this weird thing. So I think they just, they, see, this is my point. He just wants his life easier. He just wants to be able to say, ah, everyone just needs to get a vaccine, you know, and just, and, and then so he can feel like he's doing something and being powerful. It's just awful. I mean, it's terrible. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, and this is the crazy thing. I mean, you know, we've set up our life and you, you, you know, you, you all have done the same so that the big coercion points can't affect us. Right. I mean, I don't work for anybody and we don't put our children in in school. I mean, they're just getting to school age anyway. But 
you know, so so those points can't get us, but still, you know, there there are going to be ways, and, and I'm ner- you know I'm nervous about because it it's such a fanaticism uh, mm-hmm. at this point. You know, it doesn't stop, right? I mean, this is what I've always said: it doesn't stop until you stop it. And you know, New York uh, doesn't surprise me. You know, doesn't surprise me that they've done this. I could New York City. I don't think would ever have done this in the '80s or '70s. It was a different place. You know, the place I grew up in. I saw it transform over the course of my life to a place, you know, with an attitude. And it was really 9-11 that, that, that to me was the downfall of New York City. I mean, they, they, you know, it was just ever since then, it just kind of became a weaker place. And uh, I like to call it Disneyland for Wall Street um, because it just became this like, uh, it's so hyper focused on, on finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, obviously, as you know, like finance is such a kind of like, it's just like the, the, the bloated, like uh, tumor of the American, you know, empire, <laughs> you know, that, that's what, that's what sort of keeps it going and also keeps sucking out resources from the rest of the, the country and world really. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that New York is, is going this way. What, what I'm a little frustrated with, although I could never have seen, I, it was, would have been hard to see is Colorado. You know, when I moved out here, um, it felt pretty libertarian, um, you know, obviously more blue than red if you need to discuss things in those simplistic terms, but but the big libertarian streak and also just like people that love nature tend to just kind of love nature and, and and be less like weirdly urbanly political, you know, in, in, that, in that sort of pod creature kind of way. Um, unfortunately, though, what, I, what I've realized, what I've come to terms with is what ha- has happened here it's really the Trump derangement syndrome, but metastasizing, right, into this new thing. So Trump's gone, right? But there's that underlying animosity towards, you know, Trump voters and anything that's perceived as red, right, or other, you know, as sort of these like primitives that need to be, you know, uh, dealt with, right? And so, and so the problem now is the politics here went from, I would say, being even like progressive, slash libertarian to just like authoritarian liberal, right? Or liberals not even, they've taken that word from from us, right? From the English language, they've like completely destroyed it. Authoritarian, progressive, I I don't know what you want to call it, but it's authority. I mean, there's like that authoritarian streak and a lot of it has to do with animosity and willingness to punish. And this is why I'm actually worried, and I hope I'm wrong, but two, three years out, if these trends aren't uh, nipped in the bud, that like the homeschooling thing you're dealing with could come here. Mm-hmm. Not because Colorado's pretty good with it. You know, the homeschooling law, I've been, I've been um, informing myself about it lately. We actually just sent the letter into the school district, letting them know that we intend to homeschool our oldest child, which is what you have to do. Um, but it's good. It's, it's very, uh, it's very free, you know, for the most part. And I could see a situation where the people here at the political level decide to turn against the idea merely out of reactionary politics, right? Not because they're not in favor of even the idea, but because they consider that concept to be a red thing, right? It's a red state thing to homeschool, right? And so, you know, let's oppose it simply because of that. I mean, that's the state of politics, mainstream politics in this country. And so, you know, in 2017, I wrote a post um, where I was like talking about how I had no political home. I mean, I never really ever did, but I really felt it was getting polarized, but in a way that made, you know, both sides were just wackos, you know? And so, and so now you're sort of, um, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're reaping what we've sowed, you know, this is, this is not isolated what's going on here. This has been decades in the making, 
you know, um, of, of getting people, you know, with, again, starting with the fear of 9-11, um, post 9-11 world, the, the diminishment of civil liberties from the Patriot Act, and then the whole um, financial bailouts and, and what that did to the, to the, to the society. It's like, we're, we're, it's, we're just, we're now, it's sort of a do or die uh, kind of a situation. And I have some views, you know, sort of on how I think this is going to unfold. But, you know, my, my primary premise, though, is I don't think that the U.S. is going to um, look anything like it's looked for our entire lives in, in five or 10 years. Um, it just I don't I don't think these fractures are are, are necessarily healable. Um, certainly not uh, within this structure, right, because the structure that exists now is you got these two sides that are trying to take political power to then impose their will on a nation of 325 million people, which is just a crazy, how I got a person like me cannot win in a system like that, you know, because I'm not, I don't want to impose <laughs> on anybody. I, I just, I, I, there, there's, there's not a lot I'm asking. Um, and I certainly am not asking people to live in the way that I want them to live or that how I want to live. I just want to kind of, you know, be, <laughs> be left alone to, 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 to a very reasonable degree. Right. And that's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I go from one day it's exhilarating and we're going to win to the next day being like, uh, I mean, where am I getting that second passport again? You know, so it's yeah. Like, yeah. We're, we're in it. You know, this is crunch time, you know, like we're going to know, we're going to know. I think by the spring, I will personally know if I have to leave Colorado. Right. I think, I think it'll be by then because it's going to be a crazy winter. You're seeing the stuff with the boosters already. Um, it, it's going to, they're ramping up the fear monger. All you see what's going on in Australia, New Zealand, I mean, uh -huh. it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. So I think by the spring, there's going to, there will, we will have passed through such a push, such, such craziness that we'll know sort of what the landscape is going to look like. Um, you know, how bad is Colorado going to be? How bad is the whole U S going to be? How bad is France going to be? Right. I mean, cause right now, obviously in France, you're dealing with, there's pushback, but we still don't know. Right. We we're, it's not clear what, what's, how it's going to pan out exactly. So. I, I fear that, Europe's going to follow and North America is going to follow what's going on in Australia and New Zealand. You know, it's, um, I, I, I just feel that we're having this kind of carrot dangled over us at the moment. Summer's here. You know, it's not too bad. People aren't going so crazy. Uh, they're giving you a little bit of freedom back. And, you know, it's just like, it's so freaking obvious to me that come mid September to mid October, that's when they're going to strike and just lock everybody back down in their pods right. and, you know, just destroy the economy again, uh, for, you know, under the guise of there's a new variant and it's, uh, it's, it's really freaking annoying. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I will say, and I've said this before, I think there's a greater chance that the US completely balkanizes or at least splits down, you know, two right. sides, but I think potentially more than there is for the whole US to go Australia. I, I don't I don't foresee that. Um, because really, if you think about the, if you think about it, like the US, maybe not domestically, but but when you look at the history of a nation, I mean, you can't, you know, it's hard to centralize more than the US is sort of centralized global power. I mean, that 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 is it, we've taken it right from a new country to the global empire. And now you're sort of like, what's next? And clearly, I clearly, based on what you're seeing, so right, Afghanistan, even Syria, like the last few years, clearly with China's push, it's not going to expand, right? I mean, the, the U.S. empire is not expanding overseas. 
obviously the risk is that that apparatus gets brought home and gets pushed down. But I think that's, I don't think that's going to happen, um, even if people are worried about it. And the, and the, and the real reason is there, there exists here uh, our heritage of states' rights, even though it's been whittled down, it, there still exists. And you saw that even in the worst of, the, of, of round one, you know, with Florida in particular, going its own way. And not just like saying they were going to go their own way, but actually in real life going that, their own way. And, and the thing with that is the people that I talked to or hear from in Florida are quite happy about that. And a lot of people are moving down there for that exact reason. And so therefore, the expectations are very high for a place like Florida and even Texas. And so you, you, you're going to like, if they try for a lockdown again, Florida is probably more defiant than it was the first time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, I think that at the very least, you're going to get regions in the, in the U S that are not going to uh, go down that route. Um, I don't think, and I think that even if they wanted to, even if the, even if DC attempted uh, and they probably will attempt in certain ways it's too unmanageable. I mean, the country, it's a big country, as you know, a lot of rural spaces, a lot of open spaces, a lot of firearms, a lot of just, you can't lock that, you can't lock this country, right? Like my brother, it's interesting. I've actually never been to China, but he was talking to me about it. And cause he spent a lot of time there um, and had a girlfriend that was from there. And what he was trying to tell me, you know, you know, cause we are, we're in a house, we have a little bit of land. Um, it's sort of like ex-urban almost like uh, it's not suburbs, but it's definitely not, we're not in an urban setting. And he's like, yeah, you know, I never really saw that people living like that in China. You know, he's like, I'm sure the, you know, maybe the Politburo has places like that, but for the most part, it's, it's like cities, you know what I mean? You're in an apartment. And so if you've got people already living like that, it's far easier to social credit score the entire population, particularly when you've you've already been building it, right? Like, so as China, as you know, as China has been growing, right? The economy has been growing. It's been putting in the social credit stuff the whole time. In the US, we're talking about, yes, I mean, there's a lot of that apparatus, of course we know, but to take it to that next level and sort of everyone's QR coding and being on video, like it's not practical. It's practical for New York City, potentially, right? It's practical for cities, but it's not practical in rural areas, even in blue states, I think, and in particularly in rural areas and in, in, in defiant states, let's say, free states. So I, I don't I don't I don't disagree that it 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 will this is going to be attempted, right? I mean, they're they're pretty clear about their motives. But I don't see, I think the US, you know, like I said, I think the US breaks apart rather than there's this like panopticon. Uh, of power across this entire land. I, I don't see that as the outcome personally. And what's, uh, you've, you've been tweeting recently about your thoughts on this, this great reset uh, and what, right. uh, the way you see it and like the, the, the paradigm as it is at the moment. Um, yeah, let, let, let's flesh that out. And sure, sure. Yeah, I think it's kind of important. It's, it's something that if I was writing, I would probably be writing pieces about this because it's very important to understand. A lot of a lot of people out there are like, well, this is you know, this is incompetence. It's, it's not malice. It's not this big conspiracy. It's not this. Listen, um, I, I like to say this. So, you know that saying where they say never attribute to malice what can be explained by stupidity. I don't like that saying. Right? I think that gives it. I think that's almost like if I was a CIA agent, like that's what I want to seed into the population because it gives an excuse. It's sort of like, oh, everyone's just dumb. They don't. Nobody knows what they're doing. Like I prefer to say this for the minions. 
never attribute to malice what you can otherwise uh, uh, attribute to incentives. Okay, so what I mean by that is your random politician, even the head of the CDC. Do I think the CDC head is there thinking, oh, I'm, you know, Klaus Schwab wants this great reset and I'm going to, no, they're all compartmentalized at, at that level. And so she is just not that bright, doesn't have many ethics and, and she's there for that reason. And so it's easily sort of swayed and manipulated by incentives and then the, the talking point she's getting, right? Like who's giving her information? Pharmaceutical companies, Bill Gates people, right? I mean, she's not talking to us. So, so for her, the incentives are to listen to those people. I guess where I differ from, from some is that I absolutely believe that at the top, right? And of course there's in every civilization, there is a top. I mean, we can't pretend that there's no hierarchy. It's always been, right? And any, there's, there's, a, there's a top. And so at this top, and let's just call it the Davos crew, right? Um, if I understand how the financial system works and I understand how I could easily use that to consolidate power and wealth without question, of course, they know this as well, right? I mean, just they, they understand this stuff, okay? It's not, uh, most people don't understand it, but it's not rocket science. And so my view is that, um, the people that have amassed tremendous amounts of wealth and power from the, let's say, post-World War II paradigm, okay, um, whether that's uh, contractors, right, security contractors making a fortune overseas based on forever wars like Afghanistan, whether it's your, your top hedge fund managers, your top Wall Street bankers, right, these kind of the, the, you know, the central bankers even, um, you know, like Jay Powell is not a, not a poor guy, right? Um, they, they, they understand that. So, so what, what I think is going on, right? I, and I've been writing about this for over a decade. So it's not like a new thing. I've been saying that this paradigm is unsustainable. It's coming to some sort of an end. Now it's taken a little bit longer than I originally had thought when I left Wall Street, but clearly it's, it's running out of room, you know? And so my view on the Great Reset is just, that these super wealthy and powerful people who under, they would love to keep this system going. I, I don't think they'd have a problem with it. You know, you know, in other words, like if they didn't feel like they had to great reset us, they probably wouldn't. You just, let's just carry on, right? Cause it's worked great for them. But I think they're, they're, they're wise enough to understand cycles, okay? Of history and understand that we're at this pretty important inflection point in a cycle, in many cycles, in my opinion. But the, the, that, that, when you get to these inflection points, you end up with some sort of collapse and then some sort of new system. And so what I believe they're trying to do with the great reset and using you know, COVID as an excuse to, to, to get people to go along is to rather than allow organically humanity to reset the situation, Bitcoin would be an example of that, right? Like the homesteading movement, localism movement, those sorts of things, right? Like those, that's, that's what's coming from the ground up. Right? That, that's what we want. We see the failings of the old system. And then we're saying, okay, so, so what are we gonna, how are we gonna respond to that? How are we going to create a new world? And a lot of us go to Bitcoin, a lot of us go to gardening and localism, or like I've been saying, decentralization generally, open source software, right? They don't want that, obviously, right? Because all of that goes, will diminish their power. So they understand what the organic reset would look like. And so what the great re reset is, in my opinion, is a, is a centralized top-down um, use of force to, to put in a system, 
to replace the other system, but a system where they're still in charge and actually more in charge. Where I think, why I think we're going to ultimately prevail, right? And so if we, if we talk again in 2030, um, I think our conversation will be very different and we're gonna be like, that was rough, you know, but, 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 but things are looking up now is, is simply because it's so obvious, you know, and also people can see it, you know, it's, it's pretty, they're trying to just protect our, so, so for me coming out of a, of a massive paradigm shift with the same elites right there, like, like, like top down telling us, no, you know, you need this reset and you can't, you got to eat the bugs. You got to be in the pot. I mean, it's crazy. Right. But they're trying, they're trying. And I think, and I've said this a lot. I think they're. I think it's. They're desperate because they feel like they 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 can't lose in their minds, right? And so they almost have no choice but to but to try to do this. Um, otherwise, they're finished, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, so so that's why I think that's why I'm ultimately optimistic. But there's so many pitfalls of the, uh, you know coming or here already of the next few years. You know, it's like look, we've got to get from from here to there. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's our challenge, I think. Yeah, it's a long road ahead. It's uh, yeah, seems and, like and it. a very bumpy one. And like, this brings me onto that, that piece that uh, you forwarded me that uh, you'd written before financial feudalism. And uh, you got a great quote in there, which I think really sums everything up that you've been saying, and then we can use that and kind of uh, leapfrog into the um, into the piece. Uh, when plunder becomes a way of life for a group of men in a society, over the, coos- over the course of time, they create for themselves a legal system that authorizes it and a moral code that glorifies it. Frederick right. Bastiat. Bastiat. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So unbelievable. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's like we're here, you know. Yeah. And then, the, the, but it's always fascinating to me when when I read quotes like that, just just because in in so many ways, it's comforting actually because. The stuff we're saying now has been said before, you know, and it has been said mm-hmm. before that. And because there are cycles, you know, there's cycles of, of history, there's cycles of human behavior, there's cycles of civilization. Um, and we just happen to be in, in, you know, one of these, one of these times, right? Like that, that John Adams quote was like, I study, um, I study politics and war so my children can study philosophy and math. So their children can study pottery and so you know, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, you know what I'm saying? He was, he was talking about the cycle and he was talking about the fact that he happened to be in that point in the cycle, whether he wanted to be or not, where he had to study politics and war, right? <laughs> but, but he'd rather study philosophy probably. And that's kind of me, <laughs> you know, that's how I feel. But we, we are where we are. You know, that's the key. It's like wringing our hands about it and saying, oh, I wish it wasn't this way. And, and of course we all do that. You know, doesn't get, you know, uh, isn't going to get us anywhere because we are in this point in the cycle. And um, if we want a good outcome, we have no choice but to act, um, but to be in the battle, right? Be in the, be the warrior you want to see in the world, right? Like that's, uh, we have no choice. And, you know, the financial feudalism piece I wrote was really, um, it was really about debt. And I think the thing that was so frustrating to me when I wrote it is that the reason I think we're here right now where we are, 10 years after the financial crisis, 20 years after 9-11, all of the horrible abuses that have, that have happened in those 20 years, um, the reason why we didn't turn things around I think a core part of it is just a lack of understanding about how the system works at the core level. And so because people don't understand that, they're always trying to fix symptoms. 
So you've got this, in the, in, in the case of this piece, I'm not, there's all sorts of elements to the system, right? There's pharma, there's military industrial complex, national security state, Wall Street and finance, right? And they're all sort of interlocking together in a set of broadly similar interests, right? Of, of racketeering, you know, like, like rackets, running rackets and, and abusing the population um, for their own benefit. Um, but the one I, I, I discussed in this piece was, was in particular fi fi finance and how mm -hmm. it gets people. And I was discussing, you know, debt. And what a lot of people, a lot of your like normies, or let's say people that aren't even, people that aren't normies, but, but aren't, just don't have a financial background, do understand how debt can be pernicious in your everyday life, right? Like student loan debt. I mean, why are millennials not having kids or having them so late? I mean, is it, is it a coincidence that they're the, like the most indebted generation ever? I don't think so, right? I mean, so, so what ends, what's ended up happening over the course of my lifetime, you know, is that just to play the game, right? You've needed to take on increasing amounts of debt. And student loans is, is the most basic example. Now, I don't think in 10 years, you're gonna need a bachelor's degree to be a you know, successful person. But throughout my whole life, for sure, you, you sort of needed that to gain sort of a ticket or a chance to get in the upper, upper crust of society or upper middle or whatever. And so everyone did it, you know, and, and you're taking on loans and the prices go up and the administrators get paid. But the bigger point is you've got that big debt load on you. And so for most people, debt is a albatross, essentially. It, it weighs them down. It's, it's the interest. It's knowing that they're, they're, they're in the hole. It's, 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 it, 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 it doesn't foster a feeling of freedom um, at all. Right. You're, you're sort of like this, you know, sort of like hamster on a wheel, like constantly trying to just like constantly trying to cl climb out of, of, the, of the hole. And increasingly, you, you sort of need debt for everything. You know, there's, there's you, know, you can't things are so expensive. You can't you know, pay out of pocket. I mean, I joked 10 years ago that, you know, you're going to need to you need to borrow money just to go to the grocery store. And in fact, a lot of people do do that via yeah. credit cards. Right. Yeah. So so it's a crazy it's a crazy situation. But what, what a lot of people don't understand is how debt for the, let's say elite, right, is a offensive weapon, okay? So it ties the masses down, but for the elite, they use it to accumulate more stuff quicker, okay? And then the best way I, I really describe this to people is it's leverage, right? So if you're wealthy, debt isn't just, isn't debt anymore. It's, it's a way to get more money via leverage, right? As you know, that term is so common in, in the financial world. So the way I, I sort of like, explain to people the power of leverage is through the one area that your average person can and does in a lot of cases experience leverage in a beneficial way. Housing, right? So here's, a, here's this, the most basic example. Million dollar house. Um, let's say you take on a 20% down, right? On your million dollar house, put 200,000. Okay. That house then over the next five years goes to 2 million. So the house has doubled in value. But what have you made on your equity? You haven't made twice your money. You've made five times your money, right? Because you're, you're, you're the value of that house. You're gaining that entire appreciation off of your equity. And so that's, that's, why, right? that's why real estate has made people so much money. It's not, because, it's not really because real estate is such a great investment. It's because it's the one asset where your average person actually experiences leverage like a Wall Street guy. Right. Um, now, of course, it doesn't really even benefit the person that much, because if it's your primary residence, so what? 
Okay, you still have to buy another house if you sell it. I mean, yeah, you could rent, but if you're going to sell your house and then buy a, another house in the same area, unless you're downsizing, you didn't make out. You know what I mean? You just kept up. You just you're not on the hamster wheel. You're, you're sort of just like. Uh. But but if you're um, not your average Joe, and you understand how leverage works, this is why you know so many people have made fortunes in real estate. It's not because they're brilliant. It's just leverage. So you you own your house outright. And then you can start speculating like that on other houses. You know, you can, you put 20% down here, down there. And the whole system, as you know, is designed to prop up assets, right? Prop up housing, prop up financials, prop up bonds. And so therefore it's considered, right? I mean, the, the powerful understand that it's considered a no-lose situation. So they put leverage on and they make massive returns. And so this is where I think, uh, this is what I think a lot of people don't understand. And the moment you understand this and that this, this works in the financial markets as well, so you just you can find an asset or a spread that the the rate of return actually isn't that high. But if you put 50 times leverage on it, you make a lot of money. <laughs> but you didn't do anything. You did nothing. Right. You added no value to society and you actually increase systemic risk. Um, and so this is one of the things that's been so frustrating that I've known for so long, but I still can't get people to understand, which is that so much of the wealth out there is made this way whether it's made in real estate or whether it's made on Wall Street. It's not brilliance. It's not masters of the universe brains. Trust me, I worked with these people. Sure, lots of smart people, but a lot of just clever people, crafty people, right? People that, are, that, are, that understand the system and just go for it, right, aggressively. Um, and I think if more people understood how much wealth has been made in this way, right, um, by actually adding no positive benefit, right? Like, like doing no societally, like objectively societal, societally useful thing, um, making 50, $100 million. I really do think like people would be, would lose their minds, right? Because then you have, you've, you've the, all these other people that are, whether it's running a restaurant, right? Running a gym, just doing like being a plumber, right? Which you can make good money. But what I'm saying is like, these are people that are health, like actually society couldn't function without, plumbers or electricians, right? <laughs> they're absolutely crucial. And they can make a good living, but they're not making 50 million a year. And the people that are making 50 million a year are doing nothing <laughs> except for like financial engineering. And so that's how effed up our society is. I mean, that, that really, and it's, I don't write about it much anymore or even talk about it much anymore because it's like, I've been talking about it for a decade. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. I'm tired. But, but I felt like between us, this would be a good thing to bring up again because I really do think people don't understand. They, they get the central banking, especially Bitcoiners now, right? They get that, like how how crazy that system is. But they, but they're, but but I think there's that other part that they're not fully getting, which is that all of these masters of the universe guys, they can't lose, okay? Because the moment asset prices go down, the central banks come in to rescue the asset prices, to rescue their leveraged trades. So, I mean, whereas if if you or I were going to go speculate on housing, okay, for the most part, stuff's going up. But if we lose, if we're on leverage and we and, and the housing market crashes like it did in 08, I mean, this is what your average person was trying to do in 08. They were saying, hey, I'm going to be like those guys, right? But the problem is if you lose, if your timing is off, and you get a drawdown like that, you're done, right? I mean, you're out, you're out, you're out of business. Whereas a Wall Street guy gets a bailout. So, so it's it's like, it's like, yes, um, 
other people can can use leverage, you, you know, the, the non-elite or whatever. But the key part of the elite scam is that if they lose on leverage, they get bailed out. It's a rigged system. Totally. It's, you, you, there's no point playing a rigged game. Right. Uh, it's, um, I, I'd like to know, actually, at what point in your career on Wall Street did alarm bells start ringing for you um, and red flags start yeah. going up? And, and you're thinking, hmm, this doesn't seem right because uh, I think we were probably in markets around the same time. I left in 2012. I was in uh, foreign exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, I was based out of Asia. You were based out of yeah. New York, Wall New Street. York. Uh, commodities, I think you mm-hmm. want. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, at yeah, what so, point did you kind of like, hmm? Yeah. Yeah. So, so people that maybe were younger or weren't paying attention to markets that closely back then may have, may, may not be so aware of this, but there was this huge commodity boom um, throughout the 2000s, right? Uh, oil, copper, iron ore, you know, precious metals, everything. It was a huge, I mean, I think oil hit something like 10 bucks in 99, uh, crude oil. Um, and then by the time I was there in like 2000 and I'm trying to remember eight, um, it was hitting 150, right? So, so it was, it was a massive, massive move. Um, and, but this was over the course of really that decade. And I came into the, you know, Wall Street as a oil analyst. And then I moved on to a commodities general analyst in, um, on a trading desk. And this, when I started seeing like the glitch in the matrix, I guess uh, would be the best way to describe it, was right around 2007, because our firm was not a big bull on oil at that time, okay? And our analysts were saying, well, look at the supply demand, look at the stuff coming on, look at the marginal cost, right? It doesn't make sense. Oil should go down. It's a bubble, okay? It wouldn't go down. It kept going up and going up and going up and going up. And so for me, just based on my natural sort of curiosity, I'm like, okay, they're right. This isn't fundamentally make sense. So, but, so why are we so wrong? You know, what is going on? And it was around that point that I started hearing people on uh, blue, you know, like Bloomberg and CNBC, which I, gosh, I can't believe I used to watch that stuff, but oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> too, too many hours watching that nonsense. Yeah. But, but, but like, I haven't watched CNBC in 10 years or so. Well, it um, had to be like, on, on the once. trading desk, right? It was probably on <laughs> no, it was everywhere. Yeah. 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 And I actually yeah. liked it. I mean, I would watch it for fun, you know, that's how sad I was. But, but the, uh, but so you'd get every now and again, you'd get like a guy like Jim Rogers and Peter Schiff um, and they'd come on and they would talk about, they would say stuff like Jim Rogers would say, something, oh, we're going to go back to the gold standard. And I, what the hell was the gold standard, right? <laughs> I mean, and this is what a lot of people don't realize about guys on Wall Street. They're like, they think we know, you know what I mean? Like they think everyone's like aware of it, monetary history and how things work. And there is more knowledge now, but trust me, nobody knew. You could, you could, you could ask anyone on that trading desk about 1971 and the gold standard and what kind of system we were on. And every one of them would just be like, what? What are you talking about? Ask him what a fiat <laughs> currency was, right? Right, exactly. I, I worked in foreign exchange. I didn't know what a fiat currency was <laughs> until I fell down a Bitcoin rabbit hole. Right, exactly. And, and now it is part of, right? It's interesting how far we've come because yeah. now it is so part of the, the, it's just part of the modern dialogue, which is good, right? I mean, we're making progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't, right? It wasn't at that point. It wasn't even on Wall Street. So so when I would hear this guy like Jim Rogers, he'd be like, no, you know, it's a, we're going back to the gold standard. It's the crazy fiat money. And, then, and I got curious. And so I started, you know, watching some more of their interviews and what they were saying and then, and then doing research on my own um, about, 
okay, what was the gold standard? Oh, wow. All coin, all dimes and quarters before 1965 were silver. That's, I didn't know that. Why didn't anyone tell me that? <laughs> Stuff like that, you know, that I found fascinating, you know, that, that, that how much things had changed and how important these changes were. And you know, nobody had told me anything about it. You know, my parents didn't tell me they didn't, they probably didn't even know or care. Right. So then I fell down like the gold, the, the, the gold bug rabbit hole. And I was in that for, I don't know, um, <clears throat> probably right around up until Bitcoin. And then when I realized, when I saw Bitcoin, I was like, oh, this is a much more powerful tool. Um, but it was years, you know, and that was, that was my, um, that was my first sort of like red pill as far mm. as the everything, actually, as far as everything, you know, from there, everything else followed, um, that I've learned. Um, but then the crisis hit, of course, and I had already been sort of learning about the, how the system works at that point. And so when I saw the bailouts and I saw the things going on, I, I had already, I had already been going down the rabbit hole and I was already ready to just be like, what is this? You know what I mean? Wow. This is how the system works. And then all these weird memories from childhood would come back. Like, for example, I remember whenever I was growing up and you'd hear the television, there's a storm in Indonesia, right? Okay. The U S is going to send $250 million in aid. And I always remember thinking like, wow, they just have that laying around like, like that. How's it right? Like, how is that? Where's this coming from? But, but of course I didn't, it was like a, it was like a curious thought that I never pursued further. It was a sort of like one of those, like, where, where's all this money coming from? Right. But, but I figured they, you know, I figured the important people had it sorted out. Right? Tur turns out they did, but not in a, not in a, not in a good way for us. So, so it's like, that, that was the key. That was the sort of the, the commodity boom and me not understanding what was going on, then realizing that it was really a, a leveraged bet against the dollar, essentially, right? It was, it was people were buying hard assets because they were trying to bet against the dollar because the dollar had been losing value in fiat terms that whole decade, pretty much, right? It was a big drop um, <clears throat> throughout like George Bush's terms. Uh, and from there, really, it was just, that was it. You know, I never fully <laughs> became became like a like a like a white collar Karen again. You know, like that was that was that was from there on. I became you know quote unquote radicalized. You know, like, uh, I, I I I I was able to admit how little I knew. I was able to admit how foolish I was being, thinking of myself as like this hotshot you know finance guy when when all I was doing was sitting close to the printing press. Mm -hmm. um, and so from there. Uh, once the, and then once the crisis happened, you know, I had, um, I was, it was fun for a couple of years. I would just bash the system from wall street and like a lot of clients loved it, but internally there were problems. It was like back and forth. And finally, you know, they gave me a really bad bonus and I left. Um, it was time though. Right. I mean, the writing was on the wall and for me, I wasn't getting, uh, whereas up into that point, up into the financial crisis, I was getting a huge ego boost, right. By every, every bonus check every promotion, right? Every, every, every new role, every like, you're doing great kid, right? Like it really was like what my ego craved and needed. And so I kept going. And then once the financial crisis hit, uh, I wasn't getting that satisfaction anymore because I knew it was, I knew it was bullshit, right? And so without that being there, the only reason I was staying is because I felt like I could tell my truth, right? Tell what I had discovered to people within the system. And I was doing that for a couple of years, but then it just became an unsustainable thing. I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, and, and, and furthermore, you know, it was like, it was time, right? I mean, it was just, it wasn't the place for me anymore. It was, it was not, I'd done that, right. I'd been there, done that. And that was it.
I think I remember listening to you on another podcast, maybe where you were talking as well about uh, that that moment of clarity coming through to you uh, when you kind of figured out what was going on with the carry trade. Yeah. Was yeah, yeah. It was like I remember it was a friend of mine or something, and I was I was un unclear. They're like, "Oh, well, the markets are crashing because the carry trade is unwinding." I'm like, "Well, what, what what's that all about?" And he's like, "Well, it's when you like borrow in a really cheap currency like the yen, and then you make a bet on a higher paying currency, and you put a ton of leverage on it." And and then he was explaining the math and how. And I was like, "What?" I was like, you you're make, you can make millions of dollars just doing that and then and putting on a ton of leverage and then that unwinds the whole system because there's so many people, right? Putting massive leverage on the same trade, right? Because it's like, it, it reminds you a little bit of um, Liar's Poker. Was it Liar's Poker? No, no, no. When, when Genius failed, right? About uh, long-term capital management, about like picking pennies in, in front of a steamroller. And it was like, they're doing that, but with massive leverage. And then you, you, know, you know what happens. Um, and so, yeah, that was a, that was a clarifying moment for me because I wasn't aware. Um, I wasn't fully aware of like how people, I guess up until that moment, I looked up to hedge fund managers and I wanted to be one, you know, cause I was like, oh, these guys, they're so smart. Like I was still thinking of back in the day, you know, when, when it was actually alpha being generated, mm -hmm. um, by, by smart people. And it was a small industry. And what I hadn't realized is that the industry wasn't that anymore. It was getting worse and worse by the day. It was basically a lot of leverage in, in some cases. And in other cases, it's just, it's just um, harvesting assets. You know? And so, so these, these big hedge funds aren't even getting huge returns. They're just, they're just trying to get more and more assets because they can charge 2% or they used to be able to charge 2% of assets and 20% on returns. But, but the 2% of assets if you have billions and billions of assets is a massive amount of money going right to the top two managers. They don't have to perform, you know? And so it became clear what they were like the whole racket, what it was is that's why the hedge funds started trying to get pension funds to, to invest in the hedge funds because that's where all the big dumb money is. And so you get, you, you get more and more money and you say, I don't have to really generate any returns or I'll just keep it in line with the, with the market or maybe slightly better. But as long as I can earn 2% on total, I'm making 10, $15 million a year. It's crazy, right? right? I mean, and so, so really the nature of the beast um, was revealed to me. And again, I mean, once it was that the whole, the ego dropped away, but also the desire to participate was 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 crushed right i mean it wasn't uh i was i was i'm the kind of person that like i definitely particularly back then you know i, I wanted to be feel rewarded for for ta my talents but it had to be fair right i mean it had to be kind of the right way i've never been a cheater you know like i'd never wanted to play a, a board game when i was a kid and and cheat to win you know if i if i if i won i wanted to win and so that's sort of still how I feel, you know, I, I, I want to win now, you know, I don't want to win for me though, but I want to win for, uh, for me, but for, for, for the, for the world, you know, I want to see a better world, but I don't want to, I'm not going to become my enemy to do it, you know? And so, um, that's really what it, be. it, it just looked as very increasingly the whole system. Once I knew the whole system was rigged, then it was like, well, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just making money in a rigged game. That's that didn't, it didn't give me anything anymore. No, exactly. And, you know, what you just said about buying assets up, what, what do you make of what BlackRock have been doing, you know, scooping up all of the real estate 
It's just crazy. This is even scarier, though, I got to say this time around. So mm -hmm. the first after the first financial crisis, I was one of the first people to write about what Blackstone was doing. Right. Because right. Blackstone Schwartzman was doing that through invitation homes. Um, and they still, I think, own a ton of it. Right. But, but, but right. So people lost their homes. OK. Zero percent interest rates. Financial firms doing great. Flush with cash, flush with borrowing capacity. And they went and bought all the homes from distressed Americans and then rented them back to them. Right. I mean, Blackstone did this gigantic, um, uh, which is, a, in my opinion, just a, a disgusting firm, but like did this giant um, uh, buy of, of, uh, of, of homes post financial crisis. So now it's like BlackRock's doing it. I'm just I don't even comment on it because I'm just so frustrated. I'm just so frustrated, man. It's like I've done this already. You know, I did this like I was screaming at the top of my lungs for three years. And now it's of course it's being done again because nothing happened the first time. Right. I mean, this is the problem. It's what I said. It's not going to stop until we stop them. We have to figure out a way to stop them because otherwise it just gets worse. And they do the same scams over and over. This one's even scarier, though, because of the whole Great Reset thing. Right. You will know you will own nothing and be happy. Right. So if BlackRock, right, the biggest um, uh, money management firm in the world is buying up everyone's homes, uh, that sort of seems like a way to get that great reset, right? I mean, that, that's a key component, which is, you know, homes become completely out of reach to buy for someone and you're a surf. I mean, you're a total surf forever and a pod creature. And I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the thing. And I, and I do think this is a goal for, um, for these, you know, power elites for lack of a better term. Um, it's frightening. I mean, it's, it's, it's frightening, but it's so frustrating to me. And again, this is why I'm so focused on rather than writing articles about BlackRock. I mean, I did it already. You know, um, it doesn't. It didn't do anything. Um, I'm focused on you know what can I do? You know what 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 sort of actions? And and that's why I actually think that this whole vaccine mandate passport thing is a, is a tremendous opportunity because it's such an extreme in your face line that's being crossed. To me, I appreciate the clarity of what we're gonna discover, right? I appreciate that we're gonna know pretty soon how completely impotent people are, right? And where they're completely impotent and where they may not be. And therefore I'd rather sort of like, rather, rather than it be this slow process of degrading us as humans and enslaving us in this into this neo-feudalism, I'm just, you know, let's let's accelerate it. Let's get the game on. Let's go. Let's see what let's see what's going to happen. Because listen, if you're not going to stand up for bodily autonomy, particularly for your children, you're not going to stand up for anything. Okay. I mean, and so that's why a lot of people say to me when I say, "Okay, well, I may have to leave Colorado." They're like, "Well, you got to stay and fight." I'm like, "No, I don't." You know, I'm a fighter. Trust me, I'm a fighter. But I'm not going to be a martyr for no reason in a place that doesn't give a sh you know, that's not me. You know, I'll go to where my odds are better of success. And there there's still so many people that are refusing to go along at this point. And I keep hearing every single day of people leaving their jobs um, or being fired and being willing to, to for that to happen to stand up on this line. I, I, in my life, there's never been an issue like I've never seen an issue where, where this many people are actually willing to sacrifice their entire careers to not allow this line to be crossed. And they should do that because this, if you lose this, you, what do you have? You know, I mean, I, I think in the future and I'm like, if in five years, 
I'm scanning QR codes to go to the grocery store. I'm, 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 I'm getting, I'm, I'm pumping like experimental boosters into my little, little children's little baby's arms that I'm completely uncomfortable with. And I'm doing it just, why am I doing that? Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like I'm doing it because they're just saying I need to do it because someone's saying you need to do it or else. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't work like that. Okay. That's not, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to my kids. And I'm going to figure out a way to, to make that not happen. Um, so, you know, that, that's what, that's why I, I find this time concerning, but also exhilarating because at least now we're, we're in the ninth inning, you know, they use a baseball reference. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're, this is it. Like this is, uh, this is the fight. And if I see people rolling over around me and embracing this sort of thing that I'm not, I can't change that. Right. I mean, if, if, if crossing that sort of line isn't obviously offensive to you to the point that you're going to do something about it, I can't help you. <laughs> I can't stand on a cardboard box on the corner here and say, what's wrong with you guys? Can't you see this? They're not, it's not going to do anything. So the best, the best option at that point is to say, okay, um, you know, they, 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 they've made a decision and also fits into my localism frame, you know, frame of mind as well, as much as it's depressing. And as much as I'm sure it's depressing for you, where you are in France, that perhaps you may have to, you know, jet and get out of there. Um, at the same time, you know, it's, I'm glad for the signal, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to, to know with finality that, you know, if, if this place is, is, is livable for me or not. Um, and so, like I was telling you, I think it was before we actually started recording, I think by the spring, I am going to know, um, what I, what, if I need to leave or not, because it's, because things are accelerating so fast that by then I'll know if, if how bad things are going to be where I live and how much people are going to put up with it. But I don't think you, uh, I mean, you even see it with some of the people that, you know, might even have regret from just jumping in with the vaccine. Now that they're in, you know, it's sort of like they're in, you know, and, th- and it's very hard to sort of walk that back. You know, that's not, it's hard for me to understand that mentality because I'm not like that. You know, if I, if I mess up or I know I mess up, just like on Wall Street, I mean, I, I could have fooled myself and said, oh no, it's not because of the bailouts. I, I really am great. You know what I mean? I really, I really do deserve this salary, which is what most people do but it's just not me. Um, and so anyway, and so in any event, we will, um, I think in the next six months, we're going to know so much about, uh, what the world is, is on, like how the specific areas of the world are going to actually unfold. Yes. Yeah. You, you've got a good point. At least now the cards are on the table. So let's go. Yeah. You Game know? is on. Yeah. Um, which brings me back. I want to go back to like uh, financial markets as well. Uh, because you've spoken about or written about or tweeted about, and you and I have spoken about, I think separately before, um, Warren Buffett and uh, your, your thoughts about, uh, you know, how, how complicit he might have been in, in that whole, especially post-crisis, you know, when, when the TARP money came out yeah. and he just started scooping up all of the bank stocks and making like just the, the rosiest deals for himself. Uh, so, yeah, um, what are your thoughts? I mean, so frustrating, right? I mean, I, uh, I that that was a big wake up for me as well. Warren, Warren Buffett, and sort of realizing how much 
I had been propagandized about that guy, not just through the media and you know financial media in particular, but through um, his own acting abilities. <laughs> okay, I, I actually say that Warren Buffett, while he's a great, you know while he's a good investor, he's the he's the best actor in American history, or at least one of them, right? I mean he he is just a brilliant actor, and I and I believe it's. Uh, 100% an act, you know, that they use this like jovial little grandfather with the ice cream cones, right? Just like a politician with the ice cream cones. It's the same kind of nonsense. Kissing babies, ukulele, oh, I love my Coca-Cola and my hamburger. You know, it's like, just shut up, okay? I mean, while in the background, when it matters, he's just always looking out for number one. He's being a shark. I mean, I don't, look, here's the thing. It frustrates me so much. Um, I have no problem with people succeeding, you know, doing well. I don't like, I don't desire to be a billionaire. And I don't care that billionaires exist, okay? But don't be a jerk and ruin society to be one, right? Don't don't then have all that money and say, I'm just gonna get more and more and more and more. And I, you know, I mean, and that's him to me. You know, he, he, he before the crisis, his whole thing was always um, about doing the right thing and being honest and stuff. And he would say things that were true about the system. But the moment he got into trouble, right, and that's when you see someone's character, uh, it was all about him in the system and saving the system because, you know, the system doesn't work for most people. It's not. It's a financial feudalism system. And he fully understands that. And so he's one of the worst to me because it's one thing if you are like, I guess I was on Wall Street, um, ego driven. Um, you know, narcissist uh, who was looking out for his own, but didn't actually understand how the system worked, right? I mean, that was my career. You know, a guy like Warren Buffett understands the system better than anybody. He knows exactly how it works. This is why he's made all, all that money. Insurance, I mean, he knows how insurance works. He made a ton of money in that, um, you know, and, and he pretends to be a good guy while like, promoting Coca-Cola, which is just like massive sugar. It destroys kids. Um, you know, so the whole thing is just a sham. But yeah, I, I think the, 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 the hottest place in hell ultimately is for those who fully get it, understand the system perfectly well, exploit it, and then pretend that they're good, which is what Warren Buffett is to me. I mean, all evidence points to him being that guy. And um it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I don't really pay too much attention with, with him either anymore, you know, because again, I, I've written so many pieces about Warren Buffett. If you want to go to my website, um, search his name, libertyblitzkrieg.com. I don't write there much anymore. I don't write there at all anymore, but it's all up there. Search his name. I've written a lot of pieces about him. Look at Clayton Homes, which is a, a Buffett, a Berkshire company and how they've, been, the kind of practices they've engaged in. It's not it's not pretty, okay? He's not hes not the little gentle grandfather, even though he, he licks ice cream cones and, and eats hamburgers and Dairy Queen. Um, so he's, he's just a bad guy. I don't know what else to say. Um, and uh, the, 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 this, this brings up a bigger point though, which is that this is the elites in our country. You know, I mean, we have, we, we, we have a group of people that ultimately are so incredibly selfish and so incredibly, unwilling to um, ever be honest if it, if it hurts them at all. Um, he's a great example of that. And that's why, that's a big reason why we are where we are. You know, it's, it's, it's this, it, the, the overlords are such nefarious, nasty people. Um, and in a lot of cases pretend they're, they're nice. Like 
For example, with, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin's a good example with Buffett, right? And, and a lot of Bitcoiners wrongly will say stuff like, oh my God, it's so early. Even Warren Buffett doesn't understand Bitcoin. Dude, he understands it just fine. <laughs> you know, trust me, Warren Buffett understands Bitcoin. He doesn't like Bitcoin, <laughs> okay? So then he pretends, this is what he does. He's an actor, right? I mean, he's a shark and an actor. And so he pretends he doesn't, fully get it so that he can say stupidity that plays well with people who really don't get it, right? So he'll say stuff like, well, you know, yeah, well, I don't know, Bitcoin is this, right? you know, and, 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 you know, people will parrot it and like CNBC will parrot it, but it's like, nah, he gets it. He, he knows that it's a, it's a threat to the paradigm that he has made so much money on and uh, he considers it problematic as a result, right? He doesn't want it to be, you know, because, you know, again, this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, um, that we are going to have a new paradigm, okay? Mm -hmm. there, there, there's, you can see it, right? I mean, Bitcoin is the best example. That's why I got so interested when it came out because I was like, okay, right? I was like, this is different, right? I mean, this is truly different. Um, the fact that that emerged on the scene to me was a signpost of that organic, emergent new paradigm it was sort of like that was the the like the lexington and concord moment right like the shot heard around the world was the genesis block um and that was the wave of the future right stuff like that that philosophy right that the rules without rulers right um decentralization uh, uh actual potential meritocracy which we clearly don't have um and so now 10 years on these guys like the Buffets, like the Schwabs and all those people that go to the WEF, right? Um, they're like, no, 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 no. We can't have Bitcoin world. We can't have that world. That's not going to be good for us. So they're trying to great reset us into some crazy Chinese dystopian kind of society. Um, anyway, anyway, so that's my summary. Yeah, I mean, these, you know, these guys, uh, these billionaires, okay, they're not. I was going to say, do you, do you throw Bill dumb. Gates? Do you throw throw Bill Gates in here as well? Like, uh, I mean, to, to me, like he's so. Now, I haven't studied him to the extent, right? So I know how Wall Street works. I know how the money is made. You know how the sausage is made. So I can look at Buffett and understand exactly what he's doing, how mm -hmm. he's doing it, right? But but Gates, I just haven't spent as much attention, paid as much attention to. However, I will say this: just the Epstein thing. Okay, was very concerning. I mean, so so this is the guy. Okay, and 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 Epstein was known as a shady character. Okay, before uh, he was he was convicted right in Florida for the for the very minor charges that they got him on, but they did get him on something. You know, Gates met with him, went to his house, I believe, after that, right after he was convicted. So there's no excuse, right? A man like Bill Gates has people that are working around the clock to make sure that he, who he, who are you meeting? Who is this person? What it's going to look like. Right. And they were like, yeah, this is cool. Go hang out with, with Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. And he was already convicted in Florida at that point. And even before that, it was like this open secret, you know? And so to me, right then and right there, you know, he's either a bad guy. Okay. Or he has horrible judgment and the people around him have horrible judgment. Either way, I don't want this guy. Um, running global health, <laughs> you know, which he, which he is in so many ways. And so that's, that's the thing. Okay. I mean, even if we don't want to ascribe nefarious um, 
impulses to let's say Bill Gates, right? Let, let's, let's just say, for example, he's not a nefarious guy, okay? Maybe he is, let's say he's not. He still has no business running any global health, <laughs> just, just based on the Epstein thing alone. But, but more than that, okay, he, he, nobody should be, you, you know? And what's happening is very disturbing. I don't know if you saw this. Um, so I, was, I tweeted about it, it's happened to us here. Um, you know, we have been getting, uh, we're trying to get the ivermectin, right? Which is a, um, uh, you know, considered an antiviral. I mean, it helps paras anti-parasite um, to have on hand in the event that I have, you know, me or my wife, whatever, have it, have get catch a case of, you know, COVID. It's a bad case, and we'll start taking it at that at that time. And and it's, you know, a lot of doctors, ICU doctors like Pierre Corey and others, uh, Paul Merrick have pointed out that they've seen very good results with this, like, right? Now, pharmacies in our, in our area are rejecting valid prescriptions. Like we, we have a doctor's prescription for it and they're just saying, no, we're not gonna do it, okay? And so think about that. You have a doctor who, who, who is, uh, you can have a doctor who is, who is known you. I'm not saying this is the case here. I, live, I haven't lived here my whole life, but this is still happening. You can have a doctor that's been your doctor for 10 years 20 years and says, and you ask, you know, can I, can I get a prescription of this? I think it might make sense. And they say, sure. And they write it for you. And then you go to the pharmacy and they're saying, we're not going to do it. Right. It's insane. And th that is, that is a level of centralization of medical practice that is extraordinarily dangerous, right? Because this goes back to what I was saying about Bill Gates, which is when you, when you concentrate the power to, to run like, a, a healthcare response in like a guy or a bunch of people or, or even a handful of people that are political appointees or oligarchs, which Gates is, um, that's just not a good solution. I mean, it's, 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 it's prone to all sorts of problems to centralize a response like that. And so when you have these doctors, like let's say, again, like Pierre Corey, for example, who's been a big proponent of ivermectin, he's an ICU doctor, okay? Bill Gates is not a doctor at all. <laughs> and, and he's, and what Bill Gates is saying carries massive weight. And what Pierre Corey is saying gets deleted from YouTube. Yet he's on the front lines actually dealing with patients. And if you can't see how dangerous that is, you're not paying attention, okay? And we're cruising for a gigantic disaster. And so, um, so just philosophically, right? Like taking Bill Gates, the person out of it, just centralizing um, response and opinions in a few people that are like designated the expert. They're like, listen to the experts. There are thousands of experts, right? Tens of thousands of experts because there's thousands of doctors treating people for COVID. How are they not experts? That with that, what they're actually saying is trust the government doctors, trust the bureaucrat. The, the people that have an MD that we decided to put in a bureaucratic position, that's the, that's the final word somehow. It's crazy, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this goes against every tenet of like medical ethics and freedom, period. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people are seeing this and the response, and there's that response, but it is, it is crazy to me how few people um, are, I mean, everyone should be able to see this. Uh, and the fact that people, like, like the fact that right now we've got a situation where essentially every doctor across the United States is told that they have to listen 
not to what they're seeing with their patients, but they have to listen to what some politician doctor or some CNN moron is saying. I mean, it's nuts. So, so back to, you know, back to like the, the, the driving point of this conversation, I'm not going to live like that, right? I'm, I'm just not going to do it. It's crazy. It's, un, it's, it's unnatural. It's authoritarian. It's dangerous. Um, once you fully go, go down a path like this, it's much harder to get out, right? I mean, that's why, you know, strong men don't last forever, right? They, they, there's that cycle. But once they're entrenched, really entrenched, they can last for decades. Because again, it's now, right? It's like these moments where we are right now, when it's just kind of getting entrenched, that you have to put it, put, put it out. And if you don't put it out now, it's going to be way harder and, 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 and uh, require much larger sacrifices to even try. Um, and so again, you know, if anyone gets anything from this, this video, this message, you know, do what you can now, right? Whatever that means, this is it. Um, you will regret it <laughs> if you don't try. Yeah, you're totally right. And it comes back to incentives again, like you were talking about earlier. And, uh, you know, follow. whenever something doesn't make sense, just start following the money, you know? And yeah. with, with Gates, I was shocked to find that, uh, oh my God, by just such dumb luck on his part, I guess, it had nothing to do with insider trading, but in investing $55 million in BioNTech in September right. 2019 and right. come April well, lo and behold, Pfizer have taken them over and they're going to use them to, you know, put forth into uh, into the world all of the vaccines that we're ever going to need. And at that point, Easter Sunday, Bill Gates, you know, was given 10 minutes on primetime German TV to address the nation about the importance of vaccines. You're like, that 55 million has now 10 x It's like, it's so clear right. what's going on. Right. Right. I mean, exactly. I mean, there, there is, I mean, people don't want to admit it, but there, there, there are like oligarchs like that having yeah. tremendous money and power and they don't want to lose it. And they're, and they, and they also see this gravy train they're constantly looting it. I mean, I saw it on wall street, but it's not just wall street clearly. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And then one, one of the things that a bunch of these doctors that I've been following point out, which goes to the same point, they, they discuss like why it's been hard to get, um, studies done, let's say on ivermectin or other drugs that are off patent. It's because so many of these studies are funded by drug companies. Mm -hmm. And so they're funding them because then you get a good result and then you can sell for a lot of money. So who's going to fund the, the, the and, and they're not cheap, right? I mean, that's the other thing. So who's going to fund the ivermectin? Right? Who's going to, who's going to, who's going to do that? I mean, who's going to push that to the top? There's the incentives for the players aren't there. And I think that's where a lot of, a lot of people, you know, still are missing uh, the boat in that they think, oh, like, I can't believe this isn't happening. I can't believe the government. I mean, you know, it's that bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like we've, we've let it get to this point where there's no there's no real. There's certainly not a government um, by the people. I mean, that, that's obvious. Nope. But, but it's it's way worse than that. Right. I mean, it's it's a it's it's this interlocking. I call it imperial oligarchy. At least for the United for the, for for mm -hmm. these United for, for the United States, that's what it is. Um, that just does whatever they want, really, and it doesn't matter what. I mean, there was that study I, I wrote about years ago from Northwestern and Princeton that demonstrated that basically 
the, what the public, the general public wanted on issues had absolutely no bearing on whether those issues, you know, the, there would be legislation, those issues would go that way. And if, and if any legislation ever happened to be, um, uh, like popular amongst the the, the 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 populace, it was an accident. <laughs> you know, it was because the elites wanted it too. You know, yeah. So so I think I think that um, the best thing that can happen now is for people to actually be honest with themselves about the state of what we're in. Um, the other thing I get a lot from people, and I hate to say this, but I, but I really do believe it, is they're like. Is this legal? You know what I mean? Like, we're gonna, we're, there's going to be lawsuits about this, you know. And I actually think, sad to say, I, I think we're sort of in a post like courts going to do anything world. I, I don't I don't expect the legal system to um, do the right thing at all. Yeah. I, I think it's I think the whole thing is just so corrupt, like culturally and mentally um, poisoned that it won't happen. And this is where you get into the situation of the constitution of the US, which has worked reasonably well, um, certainly compared to other places, right? For, you know, for centuries, a few centuries, but is now really not working anymore, right? Which is what, why Bitcoin has captured the minds of people because it's, it's not, you don't depend on humans. You don't, right? It's, it's just there, it exists, it works in a certain way. Um, depends far less, uh, at least on humans. Um, the Supreme Court, you know, do I have any faith that the Supreme Court of the U.S. is going to actually defend the Constitution in, 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 in spirit, right? What, it, what we all kind of really believe it means. And my answer is no, I don't think so. I, th I think, and that doesn't mean, I mean, could some justices be blackmailed? Absolutely. Like, why, why wouldn't you try to get someone that has blackmail on them up there? You know, I mean, that's what I would do if I was like, evil like oligarch but even if they're not the the culture is so different um you know we've lost so much of 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 our grounding that i think it's reflective of it you know i i think i think supreme court decisions would just be reflective of of a of a of a lost sort of collapsed republic you know and and therefore i would love to be wrong about that i you know i'd love some of these cases to work their way up and go the right way. But I mean, if you're waiting for that, don't wait, you know, you're, you're, you're missing the boat. You, you gotta take responsibility right now. Um, you really do. And airlines is a good example. I mean, if enough, if enough pilots were like, nah, no, I'm not doing that, sorry. Well, then that's not gonna happen. And it's interesting because United Airlines in the US has said that they're gonna require vaccinations for their for their pilots and all right everyone but i think it was southwest another can't remember who maybe american i'm not sure they said or delta maybe that said they're not right and i'm sure that was largely driven by understanding that enough of their staff would would leave you know mm. and so so again like people underestimate the power that they truly have now not yeah. everyone has equal power but certain people in certain leverage in certain positions i mean if you're in a small business and you're like the top performer you can grind that business to a halt if your boss try tries to tell you what you need to put in your body you know and so so you know people with sometimes and i've always felt this responsibility for me post wall street I'm a fortunate person. I've always been a fortunate guy. I've been lucky. I've been lucky in life. I get it. Okay. I'm not special. Uh, a lot of a lot of it was w w why I'm here today in, in, in this position is because I was lucky. I've been lucky. I've been fortunate. Okay. 
And with that, I take a sense of responsibility and, and responsibility to do the right thing, right? Or say things because I can, you know, I can say whatever the hell I want. You know, nobody can take my pay, a paycheck away from me. And a lot of people can't, right? Or, or are in a much trickier position. And, and I feel for those people, right? I mean, I felt for them. Um, and and I, I consider it an absolute duty of mine to speak up and do where others can't or, or struggle to. Um, and there's plenty of people that can, you know, do that. There are plenty of people that, that are okay, you know, financially and in their situations, and they can take a little bit of a stand, right? You I mean, you know, if, if it comes down to, oh, you're going to make a couple million extra over the next five years, or you're going to not focus on that and say something when you can say something to sort of help out your fellow people. Uh, I think there's an obligation there. And, and I don't think enough people feel that obligation and act on it. And Again, I mean, I think that's a function of our degraded state of, of society, but I will say to people, that, you know, anyone listening, um, you know, you should, you know, if you have that ability. Um, but I actually think we're, we're now at the point where even, even those that it's hard for, you know, you gotta kind of step up, you know, and, and, and be willing to, to sacrifice. And I certainly am too, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't wanna leave here. You know, I don't wanna rush out. I don't wanna, wherever we end up probably leaving to is not my choice, you know? I could just comply and stay, but I'm not gonna do that, right? Because we have to draw the line somewhere. And like I said, I mean, this is the, to me, crystal clear, this is the line. Yeah, well said, very well said. And what you were saying about like the Supreme Court and everything, that just brings it all back beautifully, back to like uh, Bastiat's quote that we started on this. Exactly. You know? um, it's uh, it's so, we're here, we're here, we're here right now. We're facing it. Yeah, you're so right. All right, let's ask you some questions about some kind of uh, uh, lesser <laughs> deep stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, because I know you, you, you love your gardening. You're into your you're into your gardening. Uh, yeah. If you're anything like me, you probably kind of find that kind of meditative. Uh, what's uh, what what what's what's the reason behind that, and uh, how have you been finding it? Yeah. And trying to get it's more weird, of a, right? This is localism as well, right? It, you know, Absolutely. Um, it's weird, self sovereign. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, that's not been the driver. Uh, I was just telling my wife last night. I was like, I love it. And it might become necessary, right? But but that's not wasn't the the driver, right? It wasn't this like cold calculated, like oh, I'm gonna grow food because I might need it. Um, you know, this is this has been like um, a true passion that I've discovered. Um, you know, I grew up in the concrete jungle, right? Manhattan, you know, Midtown, like there's no green space, you know, like none. And I really never had the opportunity to spend much time in nature, um, certainly not to care for plants or animals or anything like that during my life. But on those moments that I had that ability, like whether it was my grandmother in Chile who had a little garden, right? And she had a lemon tree, I would love it, right? I'd love it, I'd love seeing it, I'd love learning about it, I'd love being in it. Uh, when I would go to like um, a, a more rural area, and I'd see, you know, wild animals. I just liked being around them. I liked see, I liked all that stuff. And then once I moved out to Colorado, well, what really happened was my road trip before I moved out here, when I was out in the, uh, particularly in the mountain states, Utah, Arizona, Wyoming, 
I just fell in love with open spaces and being away from the city that I, that I was, you know, it was my, uh, it was the cradle that I grew up in. Um, and that was when I first realized, okay, I need to be out here. You know, I need to be in this wild country a little bit. And then I moved to Colorado and right away, you know, I had a small little, uh, little apartment and no, no land, but a little space. And I'd get, you know, I'd put tomatoes in a, in a, in a, in a pot and grow them. And I love, I loved it. It was little, it wasn't real much gardening, but I loved that. It would made me very happy. I did it every single year. And then when we moved into this house, um, I saw that the prior owners had had some areas already laid out for beds. So all I had to do was kind of get in there and get the weeds out. And then I just started plopping seeds in and I grew stuff for the first time, like watermelon, cucumber. I mean, seeing these things grow and then learning about like, let's say with squash plants, like how you have the male flower and then the female flower and how the female flower has like that little kind of like cucumber there, right. And it needs to get fertilized and then it grows. I mean, it was so cool. I <laughs> just seeing what a Brussels sprout looks like on the stalk, right? Like just putting the seeds in and then seeing how these plants kind of grow and how they produce the fruit that they do just like blew my mind, you know? And like, of course I, I go back to the, you know, Wall Street mindset. And I'm like, wow, the return on investment on a little seed is amazing. There's no better return, you know? And it's really true. It's, you know, seed is in a, in a seed packet could cost a penny or less. And you get this like beautiful plant that just makes you so happy and produces food. Um, and so uh, immediately I just became kind of obsessed and uh, I've been growing and building off of my skill set ever since we moved in. So we had, there were no raised beds here. Now I've built, what do we got now? Uh, like six of them. Um, and so this year I added, a, you know, two more bed, three more beds, a kid's bed and I'm growing all sorts of stuff I never grew before. Tons of fun. And yeah, like, like I said at the beginning of this though, it's interesting because you, you, with the supply chain stuff, you know, already happening and then the cost of food going up. Right. If that continues, and there's no reason to think it won't, you really will probably see increased cutting of corners with food in general, you know, to, to, to keep the prices from going too high, right? You can only shrink the packages so much and stuff. And so the quality, my guess would be the qual finding quality food is going to be more difficult and it'll be way more expensive. Okay. Like, way out of the budgets of people. And I'm even worried about finding stuff, right? Like a lot of the stuff that I grow in the garden, I intentionally will do varieties that you can't even find in the supermarket because they don't exist in the supermarket. And so it's just, it's just interesting to now look out there and say, wow, you know, I've spent five years now intensely studying gardening and working on it. And this might actually be a crucial, <laughs> you know, rather than the hobby that it is, it might turn into something far more. And, you know, your daughter asked about writing earlier. I just told my wife this last night. Um, I'm more, I'm, I, I, I don't think uh, writing was ever my passion. I, 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 I'm pretty good at it. I don't mind doing it, but it was more, I felt I had to do it, right? I had stuff on my chest and I needed to get it out. Gardening is more like a true passion. It's, it's a true, I would do this all day, you know, um, or most of the day, and it's not work, you know? So who knows, right, what the future might bring and how, you know, 
tending to the land is probably some sort of, uh, it's probably my destiny in some way that I don't know yet, but there's just too much that I love about it. And my wife also is really on board of this, you know, with the whole, you know, concept. So who knows, maybe I need to leave Colorado to, to find a, you know, greener pastures for my, uh, land tending who knows, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been, um, it's been, it's been just like a, one of the, one of the greatest joys of my life. It is very rewarding. It's, yeah. it's funny, a quick anecdotal story. Uh, I, you, you might know Knuts von Holm. He's a Bitcoiner. Uh, he's okay. written, a, written a few books, uh, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined. He's the infinity um, divided by, tw- uh, everything there is divided by 21 million um, okay. meme guy. <laughs> He's he was driving from from Sweden down to Spain, relocating his his family and uh, family was flying flying, excuse me, and he was driving and uh, he shacked up over here, just took a rest. And uh, we had some dinner and some red wine and everything last night. And uh, we got to actually meet in real life. So great to hang out with Bitcoiners. And we were cooking the local duck. You know, we're surrounded by duck here. So we had the duck breast and we were cooking that. Uh, and the potatoes from the garden. So there's the pair of us up the top of the garden, digging up the potatoes, picking yeah. the beans. And he was like, God damn, this is satisfying. This is so right. great. Yeah. Like he hadn't, he hadn't been part of the growing or anything, just t- just digging them up and taking Absolutely. them out of the ground. Like it's, uh, yeah, it was just, it was really cool. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think, I mean, I'm a proponent of, everyone growing a garden if they can, because, or most people trying it at least, because it's, it, it, aside from the stuff I mentioned, it's such a connection to the natural world mm-hmm. that's just important. I mean, I think it's good for a human to have, you know, the touching the dirt, the seeing things grow, the appreciation for the food you get, right? I mean, you, you get even in organic stuff at a farmer's market, you don't appreciate uh, how much, how much like, care and love goes into that. It's, it's, you know, because as you know, as a gardener, uh, every year that I've done it, there's been some sort of a catastrophe, oh, something, yes. right. Something <laughs> happens. You know, you, the, the tomatoes this year. Disaster. Oh, you, Oh, I had yeah. that last year. I had, I had, I had a complete genocide in my uh, tomatoes, uh, <laughs> yeah. frost that I didn't, but this year, so this year I've, I've, you know, it's been all right, but the season's not over. Right. And we're getting into the more dicey time, but Actually, what happened the other day, my, the pride and joy in my garden is a, is a honeydew melon right, right now. Now, it's the biggest melon I've ever grown. Melons are kind of tricky here because we have a shorter growing season, like late, early, late frosts, early frosts, like all over the map. Um, it's big. It's nice. Like our, and I just, I was so happy. And it's big already. Like, and then I didn't watch my dog for five minutes. And I go over there and it's hanging over the side of the garden. There's teeth marks and scratches all over this thing. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it. This, my, this was the thing that every every day I go by and look at it and speak. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good this year, you know? And then, and then in like five seconds, boom. And, and it's stuff like that, you know? And that's, and it's whether it's a pest or a hailstorm or, you know, whatever yeah. it's, whatever it is, there's something, right? And, and no matter how good you are, how much you put in, there's, there's, there's too much um, that you can't control. And so like, it's good, I think, um, it's good, it's a good lesson, you know, in, in, in just life in general, in that a garden for sure rewards your effort, right? It rewards your skill, it rewards what you, what you put into it. But at the same time, you can be, you know, a master gardener with 25 years of gardening and working, you know, putting a lot of blood, sweat and tears in it and then get a wipeout or, mm-hmm. or for whatever reason that crop, you know, didn't, didn't turn out or pan out. Um, and, and you have to accept it, right? You have to just say, some things are out of my control. 
and it's a good like sort of lesson in stoicism. And I think that's a good, uh, I think in these times, it's important to be able to um, differentiate between what you can control and what you can't control and doing your best and understanding that your best may not be enough, you know, in that, in this particular thing. Um, and that garden for me is certainly that. And I'm sure you get this too, is, uh, with our kids. Uh, I mean, for, for like my son now loves, like he's like, oh, Papa, I'm gonna go look around the garden. He just walks around and talks to me about stuff. I mean, I would, I, I didn't have that, you know? And so it's very rewarding to be able to um, give that to my, you know, to our kids. And it also, I think, um, I think connects you to how some of the best things in life don't cost a lot of money, you know? And that's the thing that, when you're in New York in particular, and you're sort of working in these like high powered, you know, rat race jobs, you so you totally lose sight of how much is out there that can bring you so much joy that costs almost nothing. And yeah, sure, putting together a garden bed with lumber prices where they are and filling it up that first time, there's a cost there. It's not a fortune though. And once it's set up, you know, it's, it's pretty much set up. And you're getting the seeds and your time. And, and that's what one of the things I also love about gardening so much is that it's it's a very much a available to a, to, to most kind of a thing. And I and I really hope that in, in cities, to the extent that, you know, I, I'm not I don't have a very you know bullish outlook on cities for for the near term for sure. Um, but you know, I think if you live in one and you're gonna be in one, trying to get a community garden going can be like the best thing you can possibly do. You know, you're gonna to talk to your neighbors, you're gonna to get to enjoy that process and some nature, some fresh food in your community. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I just think it's one, I think gardening is one of the most rewarding things. That and being a parent are mm -hmm. like my two most rewarding things in my life that I'm just very grateful that I get to spend a lot of time on. And that leads into the next question about homeschooling. Right. So you, you're going to, uh, you are, you have been, or you're, you're, you're going sure. to, what's the, um, yeah. and what do you, what's your thought process behind it? Sure. So this is, is your, is more your, uh, area of expertise. We're just jumping in. So, so for, for, for us, it's interesting. Um, it wasn't something that I, when we first had our, when we first had our son, it wasn't something that I was, uh, committed to do it all, right? It wasn't like before we had kids we were like, oh yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna homeschool or unschool. Um, but then, you know, there was, this, there was this speech, which I'm sure you're aware of by uh, John Taylor Gatto, when he was like receiving that uh, teacher of the year award in the nineties and he just goes off on the system and he makes all these like lucid points. And I read that and my wife read that. And I think it was around when we were having our son or maybe shortly after. And both of us were like, whoa, <laughs> you know, this, this guy's making some points. And it's almost similar to the, you know, Jim Rogers mentioning the gold standard thing, right? Mm -hmm. When I was already starting to question. So I already had a lot of questions about education and sort of where education was going. And I already felt like it was outdated, you know, the, the, the way that we're teaching kids um, is sort of like stuck in a different century from what we what what's needed what's best what's what's what what can bring us to sort of a, another level of like evolution um but when we read that we both we both really i think it was at that moment that we were both like you know we should probably uh <laughs> consider alternative schooling and then you know from there 
came also the, a rabbit hole of its own, which you're fully aware of. Yeah. And, and so we, we jumped into it and learned more and we, we became convinced that uh, certainly for the beginning that we didn't want to, you know, want to do it. It doesn't take, it doesn't take a genius to like look back at first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade and all that and your experience in it and, you know, whether it was crucial or anything, right? Or whether how, how, how damaging it would be to not be there, right? right? And how much maybe potential time you wasted. I mean, even the little things like you have to coordinate your travels around the school schedule. You know, like you can't just be like, oh, let's take a week off and drive to the sand dunes in Colorado and then New Mexico in October. Oh, well, they have school, right? So it's, it restricts, you know, a lot of the freedom, particularly because we have that kind of a freedom. Um, so it would it was just overly restrictive in that sense as well. Um, but we we pretty much settled on the uh, on the unschooling aspect of of this um, you know of I guess the homeschooling uh, branch, mm-hmm. uh, which you know as you know right self directed education. The idea is that you're not replicating the the, the school system at home. Yeah. Which which that's not the point for us, right? I mean, the point is not to to teach what they're teaching in classes at home. I mean, then I may as well just send them in, right? It's, for us, it's to um, allow our children to grow into who they are at at the pace that they want to do it, you know? And it's so clear to us, um, the differences in our children. It's so obvious that a one size fits all approach for, for any of them. And this is like the same DNA, the same home, right? The same parents and yet completely different. And so to try to say that they should all be taught the same way is just to me, just completely illogical. Um, and so we're going to give it a go. And the idea, as I, as I mentioned, is to encourage and teach them to grow into and learn how they are as humans, how, how they are as individual souls, essentially. Um, and I think as they get older, the idea, at least in my head, would be there's going to be, there's, there will be things, whether it's subjects or whether it's a certain activity that they want to really get into, that they'll need additional help on, right? Whether that's a uh, you know, videos or some sort of online school or a mentor here, you know, like, oh, my son is really into animals, right? Like, let's say he's not that into them, but I'm saying like, you know, uh, hypothetically, goats and farm animals, you know, I can find a local farm and say, put this kid to work, right? you know, and I think that would be really good. And then if he gets bored of that, you know, we find, we find the next thing. And so to me, I would like personally, um, and we're just not there yet because not enough people certainly where we are aren't doing the same thing we are. But it would be really nice if there was like that community where you could get a hybrid almost approach where you're doing that and you're you're sort of like the um, the like composer, right, of the of, of the day, you know. But you're you're able to oh you want to go you're going to go here for a few hours you know you know hang out with these these kids and work on this project and then oh in the afternoon you can go on a foraging trip with you know these kids right and you know so it's like you're you're doing stuff you're doing activities that fit what they want to do you're interacting with people but it's not this I'm going to ship you off to this building for the day <laughs> you know just not comfortable for me even though I did it my whole life and I'm sure mm-hmm. you did too. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, you know, but I look as they, as they get older, you know, we'll respect, 
uh, you know, I think what they, how they feel, but at, the, but at this, you know, they're so young, you know, at this, at this age for us, it's, it's really a matter of, I don't want, I could totally see our kids' spirits being crushed, you know, by, by some kid, some little bratty kid, you know, and yep. people will say, oh, that's life, you know, you know, learn the lessons, but I don't believe that, you know, I, I don't think just because it's the way the world is, doesn't mean it's the way it should be. And so I don't want like my little daughter to be all excited about her unicorn shirt, right? Let's say, and then go into a classroom and someone just be like, oh, that's stupid. And then she comes home and doesn't like unicorns. I've heard these things. I've heard stories. All the like, time. Right. Your spirit just gets crushed. And look, I've, you know, I know what kids can be like. <laughs> we all went through it. It's like, you know, I could have done without some of that nonsense. You know, I didn't, I didn't need it, you know, to, for any, for any good reason. And so I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of the problems that we're dealing with um, in society at the moment really stem from parenting and uh, and potentially like just abuses in school, you know, just that very, um, how many children are going into these institutions full of like spirit and life and light that gets crushed out of them. Uh, I think it's a lot. And I feel like it definitely probably was me, you know, it was, uh, I mean, you see how I love the gardening, right? But I went to Wall Street after college. Like, why did I do that? You know, is that really what my nature was? Is that really, was that really me? Was that really what I want? No, I don't think it was. And I think if I had a different lifestyle and I think if I was brought up differently, I don't think I would have gone down that path. I think it was just there. It was just what people were doing. And it was because I had gone into the institutions um, and succeeded within that system. And then the next step was, hey, let's go, let's go work on Wall Street, right? You know, whereas, you know, if I had been brought up in a different way, schooled in a different way, perhaps I would have, you know, left school and worked at an organic farm and then taken it from there, right? Maybe I would have been a, you know, but look, right, like life is is what it is. And, you know, um, you know, it's, uh, I feel like this is the path that I had and, you know, it is good. And I'm finally kind of finding now what I'm more passionate about. But I want, you know, I, I want my kids to, to be more connected to who mm. they are at a younger age. And I think that this is a good way to do that. Have you faced any criticism about this, uh, like this oh, yeah. decision? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, it's interesting <laughs> because it's interesting because my, my parents are actually very good in that my dad in particular, like really, 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 one of the things I love the most about him actually is that he's just not a judgmental person when it comes to what I've wanted to do. Never has been, you know, and the, and the best gift he ever did to me growing up, my mom is the same philosophy was, I don't care what you do. That's what he said. He said, I don't care what you do. I want you to be happy. That's what he said. And there was no pressure to do anything. And it was a huge gift because it was relieved the burden that I think a lot of parents put on their kids of pressure to do something this way or that way. And he never, he never put that on me. And by not putting that on me, he freed me in a lot of ways and, and that, that I think others aren't. But yeah, but, but it's funny though, when we're like, oh yeah, we're, we're not doing the school thing. It's, I could see he's uncomfortable, you know? He's not like mean or judgmental about it, but it's like clear. It's just sort of like, Ugh. but you know, what's funny about this and you, you, I think you'll appreciate it. In the last few months though, he's become more understanding because he's seen some of the stuff. First of all, he sees the masking in school, you know, he sees the, you know, he sees sort of how some of the teaching is, you know, that it's, it's becoming more, politicized, right? I mean, teaching is like the, the courses are becoming politicized. And 
And I think a lot of teachers now, it seems, view their role as indoctrinating in, in a particular way that I didn't have that overtly happen to me. Um, the, the criticisms that I have about school are very different, right? But, but, um, but it wasn't that. And so he's, he's, interestingly enough, he's starting to see, okay, you know, I, I, I get your point. Like, I don't think I'd want to send my kids to these places either. But I still think he's, he's, unco- he's still uncomfortable with sort of, well, how are they going to learn this? How are they going to learn that? You know, but, but uh, which I think as parents, we all have, you know, we're, we're always doubting certain things too. Sort of like, am I doing the right thing? Like, is it, you know, but you, you, do the, you do the best you can, you know, and that's all you can ever do. Um, otherwise... Um, yeah, yeah, I'd say, you know, most people, I, I get, I get some people that will say, oh, yeah, right on, that sounds great, you know, but they can't do it because they're, a lot of times, it's just people that I think might even be open to it, but sort of, for financial or otherwise reasons, can't actually make it happen. Um, so I get a mix, but it was, it's just been interesting that from my, uh, from, from my dad, who's not a judgmental person and things like this, he was squeamish, you know, particularly in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. All right, mate. Well, we, we should probably start wrapping this up because I've just seen sure. the time and we've been going for a while. But I mean, of course, you're a Bitcoiner. We touched on Bitcoin uh, a fair amount throughout this, yeah. but we didn't go deep down the rabbit hole. But I always end the uh, the interview on the same question. If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Who would I give it to? Yeah. Orange pill. Pure can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Can still. Yeah. We can. We can still hear. You. I would probably try to give it to a musician, and I don't know which one, but I'd probably give it to a musician because one of the things that's been so disappointing for me, with like I guess the exception of Eric Clapton, is the lack of uh, artists, in particular musicians, actively being at the forefront of this clearly needed countercultural decentralized organic movement and i was i you know growing up i always looked back sort of to the 60s and saying like you know that was a good thing about that era you know it seemed like there was this you know really interesting inspired soulful music that helped you know, sort of people get through those times, you know, and I listen to a lot of that stuff still, like like Bob Dylan and, you know, his old stuff and super inspiring. And I've been extremely disappointed um, with prior artists who were rebellious, you know, when it didn't matter as much that suddenly are statist. And I do, th- I believe in the power of music. Um, and I believe in, in the power of concerts and things like that to, to push along, you know, social change and social movements. And so if I had, you know, see, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan. See, so my philosophy is so much, this is why I had trouble with the question because my philosophy is so much conscious, like each human that becomes more conscious, right? As a human ch- changes the world over time, those dominoes, like that's how you do it. But if I had to um, try to sort of centralize a, uh, orange pill somewhere it would be that which was interesting because like have you been following Buster Rhymes recently he just yeah. went he just went laser eyes today did you see oh, that today I didn't see that today but yeah I, so I so he went he he did sorry my, my headphones are messed up but yeah so he went laser eyes today and he had that really really powerful little talk where he was talking about the masks and not being able to see people's expressions and stuff mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I mean, he's a he's a good one. I'm glad for him. But but more there, like like a soulful, because because musicians, like I can, I'm a good communicator, and that's why I feel like I've my message and I've been able to um, be effective within my you know Twitter writing. But it's but music is like a higher level form of communication. I feel like I feel like it's it's it takes writing right or videos and it and it supercharges it. It takes it to another level of potential um virality and power and so yeah it would, it would be it would be i'd have to think about which one but it would be a, it would be a, it would be a music it would be a musician yeah good answer no and uh yeah good to hear that buster's gone laser eyes i've seen he's been tweeting a little bit about bitcoin recently and jack mallers was all over him because right. uh, i think he said something along the lines of he wants to get paid for his concerts in Bitcoin. So let's right. hope he's getting the right message. He's, if he's got Jack in his yeah. ear, then we're uh, we're all good. It won't be too long. I'm sure he'll already yeah. kill him. But yeah. So, I, I mean, I'd love to go to a con. I, you know, it's it's so depressing to me because, you know, so when I was younger and we can finish at this, but I used to, you know, I was pretty into like punk rock in my late uh, high school. Like, I, so like No Effects was one band that I used to like. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but anyway, they're like these Southern California guys. And they're always been very irreverent and um, uh, funny even. And then just, you know, seeing some of the ways that they had talked in the Trump era and then beyond, it's just like, they're just your average woke zombie. You know, the humor is just gone. It's just angry. It's authoritarian. It's judgmental. And that's been so depressing to me. To see to see that and like rage against the machine, I think a lot, a lot of those guys have got. <laughs> it's it's so it's it's so it's so depressing, and I think it's um, unfortunate um, that's that that's the case. So, you know, that's that's why I come to that. Yeah, conclusion. very cool. Well, this has been a great rip, mate. I really appreciate you doing this yeah. and uh, everything you've written in the past and all of the tweets that uh, you're putting out there, and you're waking people up one day at a time. So. Thank you very much for everything you're doing and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. No, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. No problem, brother. Take care. Talk to you on the other side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. See you. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to that episode with Michael. Please go and give him a follow. Reach out on the DMs or clap his Medium articles or go visit his blog. Whatever it is that you can do to support him and his thoughts because he's very, very important to the space. And this could be one of his last podcast appearances. He, he told me before we hit recording he's got like one, maybe two others lined up and then he's just stepping back and concentrating on family because they have the next little one arriving that's what bitcoin's all about focusing on family and just trying to be self-sovereign you, you heard his thoughts on homeschooling and education and i echo all of those sentiments and it seems more and more people within this community are starting to think that way and it's very warming to my heart to to hear people talk about that and thinking about that especially if you've never thought about even having kids before this is this is huge bitcoin is hope we all know that and it's the counter narrative to what we're being told every single day so thanks for coming on mike really appreciate it can't wait to see what you're going to come up with next please before i sign off make sure you go and check the show sponsors coinfloor.co.uk swanbitcoin.com relay.ch 
and shift crypto.ch all forward slash bitten all bitcoin companies they've got you covered stack safe guys take care